Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Parklawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Parklawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. stop. Come on, without the music, say it again. Don't want to stop. Please don't make me stop. One more time. Don't want to stop. All right. All right. You ain't got to stop. You ain't got to stop. Amen. Ain't no stopping us now, Park Lawn. Hallelujah. I believe that message, this message is not just it's not just a fun message. I mean, that song is not just about fun. I think that's, that is an anthem and a declaration for this church. Amen. We are, in a, we are in a very unique season as a church. We are in a, I'm in a, a unique season in my own life. And can I just be honest with you all? I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, but I know who holds tomorrow. I know who's already there in tomorrow. Amen. And I know I'm, in, I'm secure in his love. We just got through singing about being a friend of God and his reckless love and, and the overwhelming love of God. So I know that God is going to cause us to cross the finish line and we're going to see victory. This is the 27th year that Lady Judy and I have uh, led Park Lawn uh, as lead pastors. And when we came here, and many of you were here back in 1992 and even before then, uh, but in 92, this church went through a split and it almost died because there was no succession plan. There was no designated leader. There was no plan how this church would continue to go on if the leader should die or if they should be dismissed or sh should they choose to go on to another place. But now we're in a place, we're in a unique season, Park Lawn, where we're moving forward. We're moving forward in an advanced pace. We're moving forward according to the plan and the will of God. And we don't have a new leader. We've got the next leader. <laughs> Amen. We've got the next leader. And you just heard him this morning in Dr. Marcus Harrington. 
Hallelujah. But this is a unique season. I don't know if you know, uh, uh, Pastor Marcus has a prophetic mantle upon his life. He, he serves in the office of a prophet. And we are in a season as a church where we will be we will be led not only with the prophetic mantle, but also with an apostolic grace upon this house. Because God is shifting me into a role to serve him and to serve you as the apostle in the house. So I want you to know, ain't no stopping us now. I can't stop and I won't stop. Amen. Can't say that with me. Can't stop. Won't stop. So when you leave this morning and people say, what, did, what, did, what happened at church today? What did the preacher say? Just say, can't stop, won't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. We are unstoppable. Unstoppable. The word unstoppable, yeah, we need some t-shirts to say that, right? <laughs> can't stop, won't stop. The word unstoppable means to be unrelenting. It's like a bulldog on a mailman. I'm sorry for all my mail carriers out there, but y'all get the picture of what I'm talking about, right? It's unbeatable. It's invincible. The church of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. It cannot lose. We are, we are the bride of Jesus Christ, Park Lawn. We, we're not the only part of the bride. We're part of it. We are part of the church, but we are unstoppable. I want to take you to a text in Matthew chapter 16. In verse uh, 13, I'm reading from the NIV version. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The, the, the key verse is, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The message version of the Bible says, this is the rock on which I will put together my church. A church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. King James Version says, the gates of hell shall not prevail. The background of this, this scripture in Matthew 16 is that Jesus had been walking and teaching and training and mentoring his disciples for two years in ministry. He took them 25 miles north of Jerusalem to the region called Caesarea Philippi. This was a region that was noted for idol worship. Baal, the, the devil himself, was worshipped in this place with live human sacrifices. Philip, who was the emperor or who was the governor of that time, built a, uh, a temple 
for the worship of Caesar the emperor because it was believed that Caesar was a god. And then there was also a cave that was thought to be the doorway of Hades. In this cave is where people went to worship the Greek mythological god called Pan. Pan was a, a mythological feat, a figure that was thought to be half human and half goat. Top of his body was a human and the, and the bottom half was goat with legs and a torso and horns upon his head. Pan was believed to be the god of agriculture and he was a, he was a sexually immoral creature. So people worshipped Pan to believe that he would bring about a good harvest and bring about rain. There was a place in this region that was also a body of water, a river that flowed, and people would throw human sacrifices into the river. And if the bodies stayed down under the water, it was believed that Pan was pleased and accepted the human sacrifice. Back in Jesus' day, people believed that the entrance to this cave was the doorway to Hades itself. It was the key to the steps of the underworld where people journeyed after they died. And it was at this place in this region that Jesus purposely took his disciples two years into their training and ministry and asked them a question. Who do people say that I am? Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Then he asked them the question, but who do you say that I am? Who do you believe that I am? Jesus was not shying away from confrontation with the powers of darkness. He purposely brought his disciples into the darkest place on earth to the very corners of hell in the minds of men and demonic strongholds to ask this question, who do you say that I am? He wanted to reveal his identity to his disciples. He wants to reveal who he is to you and I today. And Peter got the revelation that you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the son of the living God which means that every other idol that people are worshiping, whether it's either Caesar himself or Pan or Baal or Satan or any other man-made creature, is a false god. You are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And after Peter got that revelation, Jesus said, you're right, Peter. Now let me tell you what I'm going to do. Upon the rock of this revelation of who I am, I'm going to build my church. It's the first time in the scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament that the word church was used. It came out of the mouth of Jesus and he was establishing a precedence and a revelation that I am going to create a people, I'm going to create a body that is unstoppable and not even the gates of Hades shall be able to overcome it. The gates... The gates. He stood there at the gates where people thought it was the entrance to Hades. He said, listen, I'm going to tell you something about gates. Gates deal with authority. People believe that, that Pan and, and, and Caesar and that Baal have the key to the gates of Hades. But I'm letting you know that I'm giving you some keys. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. Gates deal with 
authority. They were, they were literally places where business was conducted on a daily basis military decisions and maneuvers and strategies of how we were going to conquer the enemy territory or protect our own uh, villages would be deliberated and decided at the gates. Political officials would, would meet at the gates and they would determine laws and policies and direction. Economic decisions, family matters, judicial decisions were determined at the gates. It's a place of major decisions. Jesus says, it's at this place that I am raising up an ecclesia. It's a Greek word, ecclesia, which means a governing body or, or who are governing over a region or over a city. It's a gathering of citizens that have been called out of their homes into some public place or some assembly in order to deliberate. That word deliberate means that we, that we take conscious purposeful, intentional, thoughtful action. We have been called out of darkness. We have been called out of our homes, called out of our complacency to be the ecclesia, to be a, a, a regional, uh, to be a, an apostolic governor, governing regional church, a people of God who are standing at the gates and who are deliberating with the keys. We have the power over hell and death. We have the power over demons. Satan himself cannot stop the church. No demon in hell can stop the church. Saul thought he could stop the church in the book of Acts. He went about breathing threats and arresting Christians and, and, and stood at the, at the guarding the clothes while they stoned the first martyr of the church, Stephan. And the enemy thought, even from the, from the beginning of the foundation of the church, that he could stop it. He used the spirit of greed and lying through Ananias and Sapphira to try to stop the church. He used the spirit of, of murmuring in Acts chapter 6 and division to try to stop the church. He used the spirit of political division and religion to try to put more rules and regulation upon people, thinking that would weigh them down and stop the church. He used the spirit of Python and thought he could just choke out the spirit of prayer and prophetic praise upon the church. But at midnight, Paul and Silas still sang praises unto God and their shackles fell off their hands. We will prevail. We can't lose. There's no way you can lose to the devil. I'm telling you, can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> Recently, I was in a discussion with my niece. She, uh, she accepted a job in the northeast part of the United States, up in the Seattle, Washington, Portland, Oregon area. I've, never, I've, I've only traveled up in that area one time just for an overnight trip. And, but I've heard, and she confirmed, that there is such a spiritual oppression in the northeast region of the United States. I mean, it, it, it is a, it's a spirit of darkness. She told me a story that one of her, one of the ladies that's in her Bible study got on a public bus to go to work and a, and a woman got on the bus and sat right next to her. And this woman, uh, her friend in the Bible study has a relationship with the Lord, but she felt this spirit of oppression when the woman sat down next to her. And um, the woman who sat down 
just began to say to this woman whom she had never met, said, you think you're better than us, don't you? You think you're going to get that promotion on your job, don't you? She had never met this woman before. But it was as if the devil had just taken possession of this other woman's mouth and her body and began trying to breathe out threats and, and, and intimidation upon this believer. And I'm telling you, the woman said, Oh, my God, I need to step my prayer life up. And when she told me that story, I said, Ooh, girl, I'm so jealous of you. God must think highly of you that he has taken you and put you in this place of darkness. I said, Ooh, I wish I was there. And most of us are like, Ooh, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad I don't live there. You cannot lose. I'm telling you, the darkness cannot overcome the light. Even the littlest light will cause darkness to flee. And I told her, I said, girl, this little light of mine, you better let it shine. Don't let Satan put it out because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Church, we've got this wrong mentality when it comes to this scripture. We think when Jesus says the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, we think that the church is huddled up somewhere in a corner just waiting on the rapture. Protecting ourselves from the gates of the enemy. No, we're not protecting ourselves from the gates. We are attacking the gates of Hades. We are like Jesus. We are walking right up until the very gate of Hades and saying, listen, upon this rock, I'm taking over in Jesus' name. Because I've got the keys of hell and death. So Jesus told his disciples, let me tell you something else. Not, not only are gates of places of authority... And not only am I building my ecclesia and calling my people out to deliberate, but I'm giving you keys. Keys are our weapons. He said, I'm giving you keys to bind on earth and to loose on earth and to bind in heaven and to loose in heaven. Well, that means that we can either call people into repentance by binding up their sins or we can free them as captives from their sins by forgiving them. That's what Peter did on the day of Pentecost. Peter got this revelation from heaven and, and on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and said, well, you know what? Jesus gave me those keys back in Matthew 16. I think I'm going to lose, I'm gonna lose some, some folks. So 3,000 people got saved because Peter opened up his mouth. Church, we got to understand how to operate and how to function in the kingdom of God. The keys of the kingdom are for binding and for loosing. They give us dominion in the realm of the spirit. And our rulership functions by our words. It functions by our words. God has chosen to use our mouths. He's chosen to use your tongue as the keys to the kingdom. Your authority is released by what you say. That's why the power of prayer cannot be stopped by the devil himself. When you open up your mouth in prayer, you are standing at the gate. You are approaching the throne of grace, the throne of judgment of the judge of heaven and earth. And you are there as a witness who, is, who has been assigned to the earthly realm. You are kingdom citizens, but you have been assigned to an earthly realm. And you are standing before the judge and you are saying, your honor, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Jesus said, I'm going to give you power and you're going to be my witnesses. We are we have been assigned to the gate of Milwaukee. There are gates in this region. 
You know, we need to study what the gates are in, in Milwaukee and in this region. We need to study what the gates, because the devil himself and the powers of darkness are deliberating also at the gates. Battles are fought and won at the gates. If the enemy can take over the gate, he can take over the city. You don't have to look very far. You can look at certain nations. Look at Haiti. Look at some of the African nations. Look at India. The poorest nations on the face of the earth are those nations where Satan has been given the freest reign. He controls the gates. He controls the political gate. He controls the economic gate. He controls the religious gate of these regions. And we overcome the devil. How? By the word of our testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. Holy Spirit is teaching us where the gates are. I, I, in fact, I, I challenge you, and, and at the end of this message, we're going to ask God to show me, Lord, help me to know the gates that you have assigned me to stand in and to watch. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to, to, to give us a spirit of obedience and willingness to stand in victory and triumph in the gates. God has delegated this authority to us. Oh, I could talk and take more time and talk about that. But let me just go on and let you know, Park Lawn, this is the word of the Lord for us in this season. Can't stop, won't stop. The gates of hell can't stop us. The will of man can't stop us. No demon in hell can stop us. The only person that can hinder it is you. <laughs> That's why you got to stay in your lane, keep filling your assignment. In this season as we're advancing, there's some people who, who won't be able to go. Some people who don't want to go. Some, some people who choose not to go. It's an opportunity for some to shift. It's an opportunity for some to, to just, you know what, I think I'm going to go this way. And that's all right. There, there's some people going to say, you know what, it, it, it feels different. It looks different. It sounds different. But in the end, we still win. The song that, that, that we sang on the introduction of this, this message, the Ain't No Stopping Us Now, it illustrates the powerful force of the church. When the church is making the best use of all of its power, its kingdom keys, and standing at the gates, and, and decreeing and declaring with its mouth, we are standing on the promises of God. There's no one, there's nothing that can stop or cancel or destroy what God has declared. So I want to I bring this message to a close by talking quickly about three things that make us unstoppable. The first one is the power of prayer. It makes us unstoppable. We as the ecclesia, we have been called to intercede for the gateway cities and the nations of this world. That's one of the assignments that's on the house of Park Lawn Assembly of God. It's to stand at the gates and to intercede and to pray. Our prayer ministry makes us unstoppable. It's not just relegated to a few folks. It's all of our privilege to pray. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to just release this in the atmosphere. God is going to begin to surprise some of us in our prayer lives. As he's going to put us in positions where we're going to find ourselves praying for people and praying for gatekeepers and praying for leaders. Even while you are th contemplating your vacations, they will no longer just become places of rest and comfort for you, but they will become military and spiritual assignments for you. 
You'll be on your vacation praying while you're there in Vegas. <laughs> in California. Because 2 Chronicles 7.14 is still true. That if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face and pray, I will still hear from heaven and I will heal their land and forgive their sins. The church is essentially about prayer. It's about prayer. It's not, it's, not, it's not just our praise and worship. It's not just our service. It's not just our tithe and offering. It's not just coming to a building. The, the essential fundamental foundation of the church is about prayer. The Lord has delegated us to the region of the earth so we can pray. We can stand in the gap. So be convinced about the power of prayer. I, I know one of the reasons that people don't pray is because they don't see results. They don't see answers. And the reason we don't see answers is because we don't pray. <laughs> In Matthew chapter 8, there was, a, there was a Roman centurion who understood the power of words. He understood the power of prayer. See, prayer is just releasing a word in the atmosphere. He understood. He said, Lord, my servant is sick at home. Jesus says, okay, well, I will go with you, walk to your house, and heal him. He said, Lord, you don't even need to come to my house. Just say a word. Just release a word and my servant will be healed. Jesus took a step back and marveled and said, I have not seen so great faith in all of Israel. This man understands the power of prayer. He understands the power of words. And the, ser ser uh, the, the soldier said, listen, it's not that hard. I'm a man of authority. I understand the power of words. I tell one to come and he comes. I tell another one to go and he goes. If I'm a man of authority, how much more are you? The word of God. In Psalm 2 and, and 9, Jesus says, the word says, only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. There is a power in our prayer. What when we speak in accordance with the word and the will of God, his kingdom comes to earth. That's what Jehoshaphat did when he, when he sent forth the praisers. And they moved at a prophetic word that had been released in the atmosphere. They, it caused a shift in the atmosphere. When Moses stood upon the mountain with his hands lifted up, interceding, releasing words in the atmosphere, there was a shift when he stopped praying. That's when Joshua began losing the battle. But as long as he held his hands up and prayed, the atmosphere was, the battle was shifted. So Lord, show us the gates of the enemy. Show us the gates in the city of Milwaukee. That's what Paul prayed for. He said, pray for me that an utterance may be given, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. The second reason that makes this church unstoppable is the power of a volunteer. First of all is the power of prayer. If prayer is the heart of what we do, let me tell you that volunteering is the backbone of the church. I'm not talking about getting paid, but see, volunteering is, is an altruistic activity. What does that mean? That just means I'm not getting paid for it. <laughs> that means I have no interest in rewards. I'm doing this out of the goodness and the kindness of my heart. <laughs> I'm giving my time, my talent, and my treasure. 
not out of compulsion, not because you're paying me, not because I seek a platform, not because I need an attaboy or a pat on the back or my name in a bulletin or my name in lights. I'm just motivated to love and to give. And, and when you find more than one person who is willing to give hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars and, and, and give their heart and their sweat and their blood and their tears to a cause and a purpose. God takes your natural and he overlays it with his supernatural. And people's lives become transformed. So don't you ever dare stick your chest out and say, look what I have done. <laughs> Bible tells us in Proverbs 19 and 7, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. When you give of your time, your talent, and your treasure, you're not giving it to people, you're giving it to God. An old song used to say, you just can't beat God given, no matter how you try. The power of a volunteer. Even Jesus himself takes note of what you do. That's why in Matthew 25, he said, there's going to be many in the last day who said, Lord, Lord, when do we see you naked and clothe you? When did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we come and visit you in prison? He said, inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. He takes note of what you do of what you say, of what you give. Let me hurry on. The church is unstoppable not only because of the power of prayer and the power of a volunteer, but the church is unstoppable because of the power of God's unrelenting grace. God's grace, God's love is unstoppable. Dr. King, I might mess the quote up, but he said, listen, hatred will never, count, will never conquer hatred. Evil will never conquer evil. Only love can do that. <laughs> love is an unstoppable force. God's grace and his love is unstoppable. In Romans chapter 8, Paul picks up this theme in verse 31. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor who? Nor demons neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in creation. In case he forgot something, he said, in anything else in creation, <laughs> nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not even you can stop God from loving you. 
Come on. All of us with our messed up selves. Not even you can get in the way of God loving you. Pastor Marcus said early in the, in the prayer, he said, you know, we love him because he first loved us. <laughs> we love him because he first loved us. While we were yet in our sins, Christ died for us. Who wouldn't, love, who wouldn't serve a God like this? Who wouldn't love a God that loves you in spite of you, all of you? And he not only loves you, but he created you to love others. 1 John 4 and 7, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. Who wouldn't serve a God like this? It's not just enough for me to talk about the love of God. It's not just enough for you to read. You can read the rest of 1 John chapter 4, and you can read about the love of God. It's not just enough for you to hear it, but you've got to experience it. You've got to experience it for yourself, personally. <laughs> just like the prodigal son. He started out in love. The father loved his son, loved both of his sons, the one who left and the one who stayed at home. Come on, God will love you enough to let you be yourself. <laughs> you want to go ahead and do that? Go ahead. I love you anyhow. <laughs> now, that's some, that's some big love right there. Most of us would have been stand blocking the door. No, you can't go. No, love will let you go. Love will let you choose. Because, because of his force, it's not love. It's slavery. Love is free. So the father loved the son from the start to the finish. Even while in the middle the son was in his mess, the father still loved him. Love never stops believing. It never stops hoping. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 says. Love endures all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love never fails. Love is there from the beginning to the middle to the end. Even when the son got up and came to himself and said, I'm going to go back home, love was there waiting for him. Nothing can stop his love for you. Not you, not your sins, not your past, not your present. Not what happened to you, not what you did, not what they said, not what you're thinking right now, not your addiction, not your struggle. His love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on you. I want the musicians to come back quickly right now. God's love, it can't stop and it won't stop. You know, the, 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 the message that God has given us, the, the greatest key that he has given to us is the key of love. It's time for the church, the ecclesia, the body of believers of Jesus Christ to begin to use that key and open up the door and let captives out. Let people out who are in bondage of sin. Let people out who are, who are weighted down by addictions. Let people out who are living a life of shame. Don't lock them up and say, uh-huh, see what you did? You deserve to be in there. <laughs> I got a problem with the church. 
because there's too many in the church today who act like they're happy people are going to hell. They act like they're glad about it. That I'm not like you. That I'm over here. I'm in the safe few. No, use your key of love and open up the door and remind them that God's love is unrelenting. It's unstoppable. It will pursue you to the end. It will, take, it will pursue you to the gate of hell. Try to snatch you just before you fall into the flames. There's another song besides Ain't No Stopping Us Now that reminds us of God's unrelenting love and the worship team sang it a moment ago. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found and leaves the 99. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But yet he still gives himself away. Even when you and I were his foe, he still fought for us. God is so good. Even when you feel that you're unworthy, he paid it all for us. Heartline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Parklawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.